Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.41 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 12th day of July, 2023, and this is episode 754 of Bitcoin and Library Tanked. Completely and totally. We're just going to get right on into it with this one from Decrypt. We're going to, we're going hard this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Library token plummets 18% as the firm behind the file sharing project shuts down. Finally, after all this time, after all this time, library is finally gone. However, understand this, the token will live on. Why? Because people are just that stupid. Pedro Salomano tells us more from Decrypt. A federal judge has ruled that Library Incorporated, the company behind the library protocol, is liable for violating U.S. securities laws, causing the library token to collapse by nearly 18% earlier today. Now, you'd think it'd be zero, right? You'd think it'd be zero. No, no, it's never going to zero. Does that mean you should buy it? No. If you buy it, stop listening to this show. You know better than that. According to yesterday's final judgment, the company is permanently, permanently restrained from offering unregistered securities unless it first registers with the United States SEC. Library Incorporated has also been fined $111,000 for which it has 30 days to pay. The decentralized content sharing project was quick to announce its steps to, quote, in accordance with the court's order and our promises, we expect to spend the next several months winding Library Incorporated down entirely said the team upon receiving the notice yesterday. Quote, as to what happens to library from here, well, that's up to you because they still want you to buy their absolute shitcoin. Despite the project's announcement that it is shuttering, it's important to clarify that the SEC never sought a complete shutdown of the project, at least according to their initial complaint. The agency aimed for the project to restrain from any sort of unregistered securities offerings, a return of ill-gotten profits from those activities, and, of course, civil penalties. During the litigation process, the SEC pointed to explicit publications on Library's website that it was offering LBC tokens to financially support its operations, both through their protocol and on secondary markets, which refers to the buying and selling of tokens on platforms that aren't the original issuers of the cryptocurrency. Tuesday's resolution did not reference sales on secondary markets, nor explicit labeling by the judge as to whether LBC is in fact a security. In November of last year, Judge Paul Bar Badoro of the U.S. District Court of New Hampshire ruled against the cryptocurrency project, deeming that it could offer no reasonable trier of fact that could reject the SEC's claims, which led Library to announce, quote, we lost. Oh, 
stop doing shitcoinery then. Moments after yesterday's resolution, company CEO Jeffrey Kaufman posted on Twitter, quote, All I've ever wanted to do is follow the law. No one at the SEC nor the federal judge himself can tell me what the law allows and doesn't allow. Oh, oh my. Wow, what a... Look, just pausing here to say, you may not like the law, right? But the law pretty much hates your ass and it will come after you and it will basically bend you over in the prison shower and let you know what the law is really all about. Okay, it's yeah, I know it sounds just like shithead and it's welcome to law thing. But in that particular regard, when it actually is sensible, it kind of makes sense. If you break the law, whether you agree with it or not, uh, you're and you get caught, you're you're going to get hosed. I'm, I might say that no judge can tell me whether or not it's okay to break into a bank and steal the money. If I do that, because I'm just not going to let a judge tell me what to do, and I get caught, then a whole series of judges is going to tell me how much of my life I'm going to spend behind bars, whether I agree with them or not. This is ridiculous. This is a grown fucking man. Holy shit. No one at the SEC nor the federal judge himself can tell me what the law allows and doesn't allow. Yes, they can. And they will, they do, and they have. And if you get outside of that shit, you're going to get hosed. Okay? just I'm just saying. Anyway, according to the team, the network has 30 million pieces of content, 1.7 million on-chain identities, quality open source code, and big name creators. Library also claimed it has the clearest regulatory standing of any token other than BTC and shitcoin number one. No, library was always a shitcoin. I'm surprised it lasted this long. It has built thousands of people out of God only knows how much of their lifetime that they've spent on their on this planet and leaves them and has left them with no recourse. They're never getting their money back, ever. The only thing left for the library token at this point is to exist as a zombie shitcoin on God only knows what South Korean exchanges that will host it. And there will probably be plenty. Just stay away from all of this shit. Now, moving on, <clears throat> BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, Custodia's lawsuit against the Fed exposes the fractional reserve banking model. Custodia, an innovative Bitcoin and cryptocurrency bank seeking to establish a charter in Wyoming took a bold step by filing a groundbreaking lawsuit against the Federal Reserve back on June the 7th, 2022. The legal action stemmed from the Fed's inexplicable delay in approving Custodia's application for what's known as a master account, a process that typically takes five to seven days, but had been pending for over two years. This extended delay, eventually turning into a denial on January the 27th, 2023, raised concerns about potential biases favoring incumbent banks over disruptive newcomers like Custodia. The outcome of the lawsuit could have profound implications for the future of banking regulations and reshape the entire industry. Custodia's disruptive approach aims to revolutionize the banking model by, God forbid, positioning itself as the least risky bank in the United States, which would make it highly attractive to investors. It does this through its charter as an SPDI bank, or Special Purpose Depository Institution, 
These speedy banks are fully reserved banks that receive deposits and conduct other activity incidental to the business of banking, including custody, uh, custody, asset servicing, fiduciary asset management, and related activities, according to the the official website. In other words, their business model is to make money from banking services and take far less risk than any other bank in the world. Oh my God, what a concept. The key aspect of custodial strategy involves completely eliminating the controversial practice of fractional reserve lending, a move that no other bank in the United States has ever undertaken. If Americans had any idea what kind of risk they take by depositing money into a fractional reserve bank, they would likely revolt. I think Henry Ford said something about that. Speedy Bank's commitment to eliminating fractional reserve lending would likely strike a chord with institutions seeking to mitigate risks and hedge their investments. Additionally, a bank like Custodia could leverage Wyoming's pioneering regulatory framework for digital assets, providing customers with a system that ensures safety and security without resorting to rehypothecation or over-leveraging. This distinctive offering sets banks like Custodia apart from traditional banks and positions it as a trusted partner for institutional investors. The lawsuit filed by Custodia against the Fed marks a historic milestone. As the case proceeds to the discovery phase, previously undisclosed internal emails and documents within the Fed are expected to come to light. New shits come to light. This transparency could unveil any potential advantages offered to incumbent banks and shed light on the fairness of the approval process. Custodia will also likely have the opportunity to conduct interviews under oath with prominent Fed officials, including Jay Powell himself and Kansas City Fed Governor Esther George. Such testimonies could reveal further insights into the approval process for Moonstone Bank, in which FTX and Alameda invested, raising questions about proper handling and fairness. While the outcome of the lawsuit remains uncertain, a favorable ruling for Custodia could result in a substantial influx of institutional capital into Wyoming. The state's digital asset regulatory framework, coupled with Custodia's disruptive business model, offers clarity and priority for digital assets, attracting institutional investors seeking reliable and innovative banking solutions. The potential impact of Custodia's success extends beyond the banking industry, potentially triggering significant price movements in Bitcoin and influencing future banking regulations. As the case progresses and the court demands an administrative record from the Federal Reserve, the urgency and significance of this lawsuit are expected to become more apparent within U.S. courts. In her March 2023 newsletter, Lynn Alden bluntly puts it, quote, from a depositor perspective, Banks are essentially highly leveraged bond funds with payment services attached, and we naively trust them with our hard-earned savings. End quote. <clears throat> Where would you rather keep your money? In a highly leveraged bond fund or with custodia? If the answer to that question isn't clear, it's kind of time for a wake-up call. The philosophy is simple. Instead of the famous don't be evil mantra, the regulations at speedy banks make it so that you can't be evil. Unlike traditional banks, a speedy bank like Custodia would prioritize the security and well-being of its customers. This case may serve as a reckoning. 
and could become a watershed event that extends far beyond Bitcoin, exposing the overreach of the Federal Reserve on our money and the profound unfairness of our banking systems. Technological advancements have brought these issues to the forefront, demanding action. Okay, yay. That's BTC Casey again from Bitcoin Magazine. Okay, all right. The, The notion of discovery. If I for whatever reason, am found to have standing in a court of law of which I bring a lawsuit against, let's say you, for whatever reason, I have standing. That means the court says, yeah, he's got a, he's got a case. He's going to be able to sue your ass. So I sue your ass in court, <clears throat> in the United States at least. I get, and you get, by the way, what's called discovery. That means that you can, quote unquote, discover any materials that I have that may be relevant to the case. And that has to be, that's up for approval by the court. I get discovery of everything you might have that might be relevant to the case. Emails, spreadsheets, I don't know, whatever whatever it is that I'm suing you for. Like, let's say I'm suing you over a car or something like that, then the title of that car is going to be some piece of evidence that I get discovery on. All right. So in this particular case, BTC Casey is writing that because Custodia is suing the Fed, Custodia is going to get discovery over internal stuff of the Fed. This is the Federal Reserve. I doubt very seriously that you're going, that Custodia is going to be able to get what they think they're going to be able to get. Somehow, some way, it's going to be obfuscated to the point that that discovery very well may be worthless. It's the Federal Reserve. I, she's not suing some, like Joe Blow off the street that the court doesn't give a shit about. At this point, you're talking about the Federal Reserve. You're talking about unlocking a trove of data that may very well destroy all the remaining confidence of the world's citizenry and other government officials in the Federal Reserve. Do you think they're going to just not go down swinging? I don't know, man. I don't think, this is my projection here, I don't think that, um, I was about to say Kathy Woods, that's not her, um, oh God, who's doing Custodia? Well, whatever. I don't think Custodia's discovery process is going to give Custodia what Custodia thinks they're going to get in the discovery process. I don't think it's going to be cut and dried. I think this is going to be ugly, and I think it's going to drag on for a very long time, and that in the end, I get the feeling that the Fed is going to win. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy. I'm just, this is just the facts of the matter. You, you're... This is, you're going up against Goliath. Hopefully, David is able to spin a a good-sized stone and strike the beast in the middle of the forehead and knock him clean out. But I don't know. We're going to have to see. I just think it's kind of dicey. Now, on to Russia. The parliament, Russian parliament, passes the digital ruble bill. Oh, joy, a Russian CBDC. David Atlee, Cointelegraph. Russia's central bank digital currency project, the digital ruble, has taken a step closer to reality. Today, on July the 11th, the lower chamber of the Federal Assembly, actually not today, this was yesterday, sorry. July the 11th, the lower chamber of the Federal Assembly of the Russian Federation, the State Duma, 
passed the digital ruble bill in the third reading. The legislation now moves to the Assembly's upper chamber, the Federation Council, and if passed, it will go to President Putin's desk. The bill, which was last amended at the end of June, sets the legal definitions of of platform participants and users, as well as the general guidelines for the CBDC ecosystem. In the current framework, Russia's central bank, the Bank of Russia, will become the principal operator of the digital ruble infrastructure. It also bears the responsibility for all the stored assets. The main aim of the CBDC, according to the Bank of Russia, is to serve as a payment and transfer method. Hence, its users won't be able to open savings accounts. Oh, God. As the BOR emphasizes, payments and transfers would be free for individual customers and cost 0.3% of the payment amount for corporate clients. So there you go. That's the the rest of it is just a little bit of history. But the Russia is moving on with their version of the surveillance money. None of this ends well. None of this ends well. Now, will Russia do it? I kind of don't even understand why they why Russia of all people would do it. It's not like they're going to be accepted in the general mainframe of common society anytime soon because of this Russo-Ukrainian war. But be that as it may, it just, I don't know. This just seems there's something off about Russia doing it. China? Oh, hell yeah. United States? Eventually, at one point, yeah. European Union? Of course. Russia? I don't know, man. I don't know. Seems a little weird, but the CBDC virus is spreading and it looks like it's infected Russia and it looks like it's probably going to pass as well. So we'll have to figure out what the hell's going on with that one later. Now, getting back directly to Bitcoin, the new Phoenix Lightning Wallet beta reimagines the self-custodial experience, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, Phoenix, a Lightning Wallet developed by Async, has undergone significant improvements with the introduction of splicing technology, resulting in a more efficient and user-friendly experience. Unlike previous versions, which created multiple channels and incurred unpredictable fees, the new Phoenix manages a single dynamic channel, eliminating the need for scattered liquidity and splitting issues. With splicing, users can now resize channels, adding or removing funds without adding future risk. The previous 1% fee on inbound liquidity has been replaced by the mining fee for the underlying on-chain transaction. The announcement emphasized the significance of splicing, stating, quote, We believe that the efficiency gains brought by splicing are so phenomenal that all wallets will eventually implement it, end quote. The updated version of Phoenix also addresses user concerns regarding unexpected channel creation fees. Users are now notified in advance when an incoming Lightning payment will incur a channel management fee, allowing for fine control over fee management. Additionally, the fee for sending Lightning payments is now fixed at 0.4%, ensuring transparency and aligning incentives between users and the wallet provider, quote, to find the best reliable, affordable route within the fee budget, end quote. One notable feature of the new Phoenix is trustless swaps. Instead of relying on swap services, which often lacks lack flexibility, Phoenix enables users to make on-chain transactions directly from their channel. Users have the freedom to set their own fee rate and even adjust the fee later on for faster confirmation. 
While splicing offers remarkable benefits, it should be noted that external swap services still hold advantages in certain transactions. These services cut the link between off-chain and on-chain, maintaining channel sizes and adding inbound liquidity. The new Phoenix wallet marks a significant milestone in the development of self-custodial wallets. Its enhanced features such as splicing, improved predictability, and trustless swaps showcase the continuous innovation of the Lightning Network ecosystem. The announcement noted that users can look forward to advancements like blinded paths for better privacy, Bolt 12 offers for static lightning invoices, and Taproot for cheaper channel management and enhanced on-chain privacy. The beta version of the new Phoenix is currently available for Android users with an ETA for iOS release expected in the coming weeks. Interested users can apply for the beta by emailing phoenix at async.co. That's A-C-I-N-Q dot C-O. Phoenix at async.co. So there you go. Grayscale bitching and moaning. <clears throat> kind of. Felix mm, has it for Cointelegraph. Grayscale CEO says BlackRock ETF filing is a moment of validation for Bitcoin. Uh-huh. Yeah, you would pile on there, pal. The recent tsunami of spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund filings should be seen as a moment of validation for Bitcoin, says Grayscale Investment CEO Michael Sonnenshine. During a 12th, July 12th interview on CNBC's last call, Sonnenshine rejected the notion that BlackRock's entrance to the Bitcoin ETF race made it uncool. Quote, to see literally the largest asset manager in the world publicly commit to advancing their crypto efforts only lends to the validity of the asset class and the staying power that it has, end quote. In just the last four weeks, at least seven major institutional firms, including BlackRock, have applied for a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. If approved, both institutional and retail investors in the U.S. would have a simple legally compliant way of getting exposure to the price of Bitcoin without actually owning any. Uh, quote, the ETF paper or the ETF wrapper is tried and true, and it has become the access point for so many different assets, whether they're commodities or stocks, said Sun and Shine. Quote, Bitcoin is an asset that's not going away. Investors want and deserve access to it. Until this point, Sun and Shine's Grayscale has been offering U.S. investors a roundabout way of gaining exposure to Bitcoin, enabling investors to trade shares in trust holding large pools of Bitcoin via its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. However, the firm wants to convert it to a spot Bitcoin ETF too, which would allow investors a far simpler method to trade the price of Bitcoin without GBTC's pesky discount to net asset value quote. To be able to give investors Bitcoin exposure through GBTC, like we do today, has been an unbelievable milestone. But moving to an ETF structure will give investors the additional protection that they want. In quote, <clears throat> in June of 2022, Grayscale filed a lawsuit against the United States Securities and Exchange Commission over the rejection of its 2021 application to convert its GBTC to a spot Bitcoin ETF. Quote, if we're successful in that challenge, there's actually billions of dollars of investor capital that would be unlocked through that, said Sonnenshine. The price of Bitcoin shot upward of 20% in the days after BlackRock's filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF on June the 15th, reaching a year high of 31,460 on July the 6th. At the time of writing, it now trades at 30,633 and is actually a little bit down from there. So there's the article. So you got Sonnenshine, who's not one of my favorite people. Um, 
he's kind of li- he's kind of been lying, but he's right about a couple of things. Is that if this if this thing gets approved, if BlackRock's ETF does get approved, there's going to be a whole bunch of them that get approved. There's seven on the table right now. There's BlackRock's first one, and then the rest of the six are basically reamended applications. <clears throat> They've been amended and amended, and they keep getting rejected and keep getting put on hold and keep getting rejected. And these other six basically lifted, and I told you this yesterday, they lifted the uh, the surveillance sharing agreement or the S the SSA. Is that right? Yeah, SSA lifted the verbiage of the SSA from BlackRock, their application, making sure that they were going to share, they were going to do that shared surveillance agreement through Coindesk, Coindesk, or not Coindesk, Coinbase, Naked Mole Rats Company, Coinbase. And the rest of everybody else said, oh shit, let's just do that. And they literally lifted the verbiage directly from BlackRock and copy and pasted it directly into their own applications and then resubmitted their filings. So if BlackRock's gets approved, there's not a whole lot of leg to stand on for the SEC not to approve the other six because there's seven on the table right now. If seven get approved like all at once, I don't even know what the hell happens. I, is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? I I honestly don't know. Uh, out of that that is so far out of my wheelhouse. I have a tendency to believe that it just elevates the whole platform of good, bad, and neutral to a completely different level. So if you're just looking for price action, it may look good on the surface, but functionality well they can't really screw with bitcoin unless grayscale forks or grayscale blackrock forks bitcoin into a different chain because that verbiage is in there is in that filing by the way saying if it says something like if a hard fork of bitcoin occurs it'll be up to blackrock to determine the chain that has the 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 true value that doesn't that doesn't give me a whole lot of hope but hey it is what it is anyway don't trust sun and shine. Just trust here what the actions of the SEC take in the next coming, I think, about a couple of months. I think this has been on the table for about a month, uh, three or three and a half weeks, four weeks, something like that. They have 75 days to be able to render a decision on this, and that decision could include a delay and ask for resubmittal, whatever. it. At one point or another, they're not going to be able to hold it back very, very much longer because it could be possible that a class action lawsuit of all these guys, they all throw in together GBTC, BlackRock, and the other five guys that have their shit on the table might collectively sue the SEC and say enough is enough is enough. And that wouldn't surprise me one single bit. Now, numbers time. West Texas Intermediate is up almost a full point to $75.52 per barrel. Brent North Sea Oil is up 0.59% to $79.88. Natural gas, however, has fallen three and a third points to $2.64 per thousand. And gasoline is up 1.3% back up to $2.65. Good luck finding that actual price at any pump in the United States. Metals are all up today. So Peter Schiff having a good day. 
Gold is up 1.4% to 19.64.30. Silver, however, swinging for the fences, four and a half points to the upside, $24.34. Platinum is up two and a half. Copper is up two and a third. Palladium is up 2.4%. Most of agriculture taking a big dive today. Biggest loser, however, is going to be corn, 2.79% to the upside. And the only one of two winners that I see in my charts today is sugar, one and a half to the upside. I got live cattle down 0.1%. Lean hogs are up scant 0.03% and feeder cattle are up a quarter of a percent real money chilling out at $30,482.84 after 347,000 BTC exchanged hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.84 BTC a median transaction value of about 35 bucks block times are now high why we had a difficulty adjustment about 6% to the upside last night <clears throat> 10 minutes and 50 seconds is your average block time with fees taken on a per block basis of 0.13 BTC and 17, almost 18 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And hash rate dived uh, 7.03%. We are now at 356.5 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, Dogecoin, holding strong at 6.5 United States pennies, so nobody has learned their lesson yet. Uh, got a $592.4 billion market cap. That's 4.59% of gold's market cap. You may purchase 15.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,427,399.3 of, and 5,452.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $166.3 million, being run over 16,350 nodes, sporting 69,957 payment channels, and 63.8% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Now, mempool, what's going on here? <clears throat> uh, blocks have, are coming in. Looks like we have about mm, 124 uh, blocks carrying 250,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with a high priority transaction cost of 21 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority is 16 Satoshis per V-byte and everything under 3.08 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged from mempools around the world. What is their hash rate saying? 351.3 exahashes per second. So that's kind of spot on right there. Uh, where am I in the charts? Probably around number six, somewhere like that. Again, thank you so much for your time, talent, and treasure in getting me back into the top 10. I got Nick underscore dose with 3,369 sat says cheers. Jim Leahy with 420 says looking forward to getting back to some Latin American Bitcoin news. I am the liquor Jim. I'm <laughs> I haven't seen a whole lot of Latin American Bitcoin news. When it comes in, it, you'll hear you'll hear about it here first. I guarantee it because I love the Latin American Bitcoin news myself. God's death with 370 says thank you, sir. And pies with 100 satoshi says the signal is strong. This is the way, and that is the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. CPI came in. We're all saved. <clears throat> Bitcoin holds just below $31,000 after U.S. inflation improves more than forecast. I call bullshit. What about you? Stephen Alfer, Coindesk. 
brings it to you. Where's my thingy? The United States inflation rate, as measured by the Consumer Price Index, <coughs> the sh- <coughs> false numbers, slipped to 3% on a year-over-year basis in June from 4% in May, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Expectations were for a decline of 3.1%, the price of Bitcoin, which has been in a holding pattern between 30 and 31,000 for much of the past few days, rose modestly to 30,900 in the immediate aftermath of the report, but subsequently gave back that gain, returning to just under 30,800. And as we know, it's more like 30,500. The core CPI, which strips out volatile food and energy costs, (laughs) the... That should tell you everything you need to know about the CPI. Anyway, it fell to 4.8% from 5.3% previously and against forecast for 5%. The monthly core CPI was 0.2% in June versus 0.4% in May and forecast for 0.3%. Today's report shows headline inflation continuing to decline. Bullshit. With June's 3% down from a peak of 9.1% in 2022. Maybe more importantly, to the policymakers of the Federal Reserve, the core rate of inflation finally began to budge to 4.8 from 5.3% after stubbornly remaining above 5% this year. That 4.8% year-over-year level was the slowest pace since October of 2021. Nevertheless, markets and the Fed, if recent speakers are to be believed, continue to anticipate Yet another rate hike when the central bank's rate-setting Federal Open Market Committee meets later this month. The CME's FedWatch tool shows a 91.9% chance of the FOMAC boosting rates at its July 25th and 26th meetings. Though Bitcoin is barely budging on the good inflation news, traditional markets are on the move with the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield down six basis points to 3.91% and the two-year yield off 14 points to 4.73%. The dollar index has slipped 0.5% and the stock index futures are pointing to a nearly 1% gain at the open. Oh yeah, that's right. Hold on for a second. I got to check something because I completely forgot to do equities in the numbers. Uh, see, there we go. Let's see what the, let's see what the equities were doing. Because I think I stopped at livestock. Uh, Dow eh, up point four one percent. S and P is up point seven six percent. Nasdaq up over one percent, and the S and P mini just under one percent to the upside. So yeah, kind of, I guess, whatever. Anyway, so th- now the CPI is a bullshit number. I wouldn't believe them. However, the fact that they are still considering a rate hike at this juncture is going to make people really, really nervous. And the retail sector, as far as housing is concerned, gonna gonna get hit because this is the summer housing selling season, right? If your house does not sell before a rate hike this summer, your likelihood of selling that house by the end of the summer selling season decreases pretty significantly. And if that happens in mass across the board, I think we're going to start seeing housing prices prices as principal come down precipitously. This I I've been telling everybody that I know that I do I want to do nothing when it comes to property until the last two weeks of August. Preferably somewhere in September, because that's when the people that are really trying to unload their houses at these exorbitant prices that they think they're going to get, 
that's when reality sets in for them. And then they start going, I just need to get out. I need to get out. I got three houses a half a block away from me. There's two for sale across the street directly from each other. And then one, one house over down the street. So you got, I got a cluster of houses that are all selling at the exact same time on the exact same block. When I look at Zillow for the, the, the townships and stuff that I'm in, it's like these huge clusters of sales because this is summer sales season. And now you got the Fed that's about to tank that shit right in the middle of summer sales season for housing. And we haven't even talked about the bond holders, the treasury bill holders, like banks and you know major institutions that have it in their 401ks, whatever it is that they're buying these T-bills on. Because if those rates go up, the principal amounts on the T-bills they're sitting on that they have to hold go down. And then all of a sudden, they don't have the principal. And then you're going to see another bank, another round of bank closures, probably. I don't know, man. It's going to be a mess. J-PAL at this point kind of has a 50-50 shot of looking weak or looking strong if he does nothing. If the FOMAC doesn't raise rates and they hold it right here, he has a 50% chance of looking like a strong man. He's also got a 50% chance of looking like somebody who's weak. And that sends whichever one of those signals gains traction, that's going to be the signal that works itself around the world. So again, we're in a wait and see pattern that comes up on July the 25th. So watch for that. Now on to Africa and Zimbabwe, Bitcoin magazine, Fabo Incub has this one. As Zimbabwe's fiat currency crashes again, Bitcoin adoption is poised to last. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, the fiat custodian and lender of last resort in the country, recently liberalized its much-vaunted foreign exchange auction trading system in hopes of selling foreign currencies at market-determined exchange rates through regulated banks. Zimbabwe uses a multi-currency system, with 80% of its economy being dollarized, according to economists. The black market rate for the U.S. dollar has recently been twice as high or even higher than the official rate backed by the Central Bank of Zimbabwe. In January of 2023, the local Zimbabwean dollar was trading at about 705 Zimbabwean dollars to $1 U.S. But on June the 7th, 2023, just after the bank's pivot, the official price was about 4,868 Zimbabwean dollars to one U.S. dollar. Just a day earlier, the black market rate was reported to be around 7,000 Zimbabwean dollars to one U.S. dollar. Meanwhile, the month-over-month inflation rate in Zimbabwe was measured at 15.7% in May of 2023, while the annualized inflation was estimated to have reached 75.6%. Wow. Professor Steve Hankey of Johns Hopkins University recently measured Zimbabwe's annual inflation rate at 1,298%, making it the highest in the world. I believe that these painful developments and many others have opened the door for Bitcoin adoption in Zimbabwe and that no person and no institution will be able to stop it. 
for most Zimbabweans, 2023 must feel like deja vu all over again. Because in 2019, in 2008, at the apex of another financial crisis, Zimbabweans lost their savings when inflation hit world record levels, 79.6 billion percent. And many, including myself, had to carry bundles of money just to buy food essentials in long queues. The country stabilized to a certain extent. A government of national unity was formed between the ruling party and the leading opposition party party after a disputed and violent election. The nation fully adopted the USD and it was minted as the only legal tender. Interesting. (laughs) Minted. It was minted as the only legal tender. Weird. Public or private sector employees who had worked for 30 years and sometimes more lost their savings as the whole economic infrastructure collapsed. The value of trillions of Zimbabwean dollars just vaporized and left many in despair to this day. Many Zimbabweans prefer keeping their money at home, affectionately known as mattress banking, because the financial institutions, government bureaucrats, and politicians let them down, so who can blame them? But many miles away, as Zimbabweans were still getting to understand their new normal, Satoshi Nakamoto was pioneering Bitcoin. This wouldn't just be a revolutionary way of transacting and storing value, but in the future could be a way for normal Zimbabweans to avoid the painful memories of 2008 and many more failures of government and fiat currencies. Since 2016, another crisis has been looming on the horizon. The RBZ, the Central Bank of Zimbabwe, introduced bond notes and coins to help with change when transacting. Only USD notes were available on the market and coins were hard to come by. Experts warned that this was the resurrection of the ZWL, but the RBZ denied that and defended itself. The current governor, John Mangudaya, even promised to resign if this scheme didn't work. Despite evidence that it is not working, he was given another term and the ZWL was fully resurrected by June of 2019. Zimbabweans once again lost their savings as the government legislated that the ZWL was equal to the USD in their bank accounts. The black market for foreign exchange was resuscitated and people began paying a premium again for USD notes outside of the normal financial sector. Zimbabweans had been lied to once again by people who professed to having their best interests at heart. Who would have guessed? But They had learned their lesson, and by early 2018, Bitcoin in Zimbabwe was trading at a premium, and at one point reaching a price of $17,875, while across the world the price was closer to $10,000. People were looking for ways to store their hard-earned money and value, and Bitcoin was proving to be a viable solution. But in May of 2018, Bitcoin was effectively banned in the country, as all financial institutions were instructed to stop transactions linked to Bitcoin. This nearly totally killed the local Bitcoin community and sent many people to seek unorthodox ways to acquire BTC. In June of 2022, the RBZ introduced gold coins as a store of value. By May of 2023, it was also introducing gold-backed digital currency. This was clearly an indication that the local currency was racing to the bottom yet again. Over 90% of the tokens and gold were bought using ZWL and they could be vested after a certain period in the United States dollar. This seemed like a good way for the elites to store the depreciating currency in gold while the rest of the population watched the ZWL crash every week. Tentatively, it seemed like the gap between the demand and supply of the USD on the market 
keeps on widening and the Apex Bank's method of shouldering the local fiat currency keeps on failing. People don't trust its methods and rightfully so. Unfortunately, with governments controlling the fiat money supply, these kinds of problems will persist small and large. As a result, Zimbabwe could be heading toward yet another dark period. Recently, the price of a loaf of bread changed twice in less than one day from 10,000 Zimbabwean dollars to 12,200 Zimbabwean dollars. To make things worse, some banks have published statements limiting the usage of Nostro accounts, instituting panic across the board and setting up a possible bank run. Nostro accounts are the Zimbabwean version of foreign currency accounts, which have become needed as the government and private employers have taken to paying employees portions of their salary in USD along with the highly inflationary ZWL. Now it seems like the government payments are not backed by real cash on hand. Against the backdrop of all of this, Bitcoin is emerging again as a valid way to preserve value. Via VPNs, which can be used to access exchanges blocked in the country, no KYC or KYC light exchanges all over the world, and peer-to-peer networks through WhatsApp and Telegram, Zimbabweans are finding ways to access Bitcoin. Bitcoin provides security, absolute scarcity, a commitment to accountability via a public ledger, and more than anything else for those in Zimbabwe, a store of value. Bitcoin puts control of an individual's destiny in their own hands, and that's just perfect for a lot of Zimbabweans who won't have to rely on politicians and bureaucrats for their economic survival more than anything. Bitcoin is independence, freedom, and individual sovereignty. Bitcoin represents more than sound money in Zimbabwe, and no political government can ever match its standards and safety. At this time, the RBZ won't be able to stop Bitcoin as the people have figured out ways to exist in the safety of Bitcoin outside the regulated financial corridors. Bitcoin is now. So Zimbabwe about to go into hell again, except this time, this time there's Bitcoin. Yes, in 2016, that time there was Bitcoin. However, it takes a while. It takes a few slaps in the face to get it through your head. And, you know, the ruggings will continue until Bitcoin is adopted is essentially what's going on here. Whether you're in Zimbabwe, Central America, South America, Eastern Europe, it doesn't really matter. The ruggings will continue until Bitcoin adoption occurs. Now, how do you store that? How do you store that? Store it in a cold wallet. That's what you want to do. And you want you want that store you you want to hold your private keys that are generated by a passphrase or you know a set of words like 12 or 24 words. And we've been doing that by writing down words, but there's kind of a a kind of a new way to do it. Eh, let's find out. This is no bullshit bitcoin aka <clears throat> nobsbitcoin.com. BIP39 colors translates BIP39 mnemonic to colors and vice versa. Uh, Okay. Let's just go through this one. Quote, it obfuscates your mnemonic phrase, which can, you can save each color independently without any order. Check out the tool demo at interpositivo.github.io forward slash BIP39 colors. Quote, 
Next will be the manual method so that anyone can easily carry out both conversions using their own calculator so that you will be sure of not depending on any tool to recover your original mnemonic, said the project's author. Quote, for those who are interested, here's an explanation how to decode manually the colors created with the BIP39 color method without the need for any external tool or library, just your calculator. What the hell are they talking about? They're literally talking about turning each one of your seed words into a hexadecimal color. Yes, color like red, blue, green, lime green, uh, fuchsia, whatever. My only issue here is that you're just converting a word into another word. Yeah, the other word is a hexadecimal value for a color, and then you can look at that color. But the thing about it is, is that... It's still hexadecimal, like hashtag EOF002, or like this one for like dark blue is hashtag Z, or well, the pound sign, not hashtag, pound sign 030384. Well, that's just another word. And are you, my thing is, is like, look, let's say that I just had a digital file with the colors on it. And it's just a, like, let's just say I took a screenshot of the colors. Will that really, if, if I use an eyedropper in Photoshop to go basically sample that color and get the hexadecimal off of it, will it really return me the correct hexadecimal? I, this is an interesting way of going about it. Before you commit any actual Bitcoin to it, I would test this idea out profusely, often, and you better be coming up with 100% return results to your original seed phrase. If if you do it 10 times and one of them fails, don't do this. I, 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 I'm not taking a giant dump on the whole idea. I'm just saying, man, be careful, okay? If you're going to do that, if you've seen this thing about this BIP39 color thing, and you're thinking about it, test, test often, (laughs) test very, very often. Uh, Let's see here. Google has been hit with another lawsuit over new AI data scraping privacy policy. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph. Google is now facing a lawsuit following its recent privacy policy update that accuses the tech giant of misusing large amounts of data, including copyrighted material in artificial intelligence training. The class action lawsuit was filed on July the 11th by eight individuals who claim to represent millions of class members, internet users and copyright holders, who have had their privacy and property rights violated in light of Google's recent updates to its privacy policy. In its opening statement, the plaintiffs accused Google of harvesting data in secret to build its AI products without consent. Quote, It has very recently come to light that Google has been secretly stealing everything ever created and shared on the Internet by hundreds of millions of Americans. End quote. Google's privacy policy changes now allow it to take publicly available data for artificial intelligence training purposes. The lawsuit points out that Google's decision not only violates rights, but gives it an unfair advantage compared with its competitors, which lawfully obtain or purchase data to train AI. Ryan Clarkson of Clarkson Law Firm, the plaintiff's attorney, said in a statement that, quote, 
Google must understand once and for all, it does not own the internet. It does not own our creative works. It does not own our expressions of our personhood, pictures of our families and children, or anything else simply because we share it online, end quote. The plaintiffs argued that publicly available does not and has never entailed that it is free to use for any purpose. According to the lawsuit, Google could potentially owe upwards of $5 billion. Oh boy, that's not going to do anything to Google. $5 billion in damages. It also requested a court order requiring Google to obtain users' explicit permissions first. That includes allowing users to opt out of its illicit data collection along with the ability to delete already existing data or provide fair compensation to owners of the data. Earlier this week, author and comedian Sarah Silverman, together with two other authors, filed a lawsuit against ChatGPT, maker OpenAI, and Meta for their use of copyrighted work without permission in AI training. Prior to that, OpenAI was hit with yet another lawsuit for alleged data scraping. Okay, so this is, I guess, data or uh, Google's first lawsuit that is being brought against them for AI and uh, data, data training, scraping thingies, whatever. Uh, $5 billion is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket for Google. So that the damages in this actually don't matter. It'd have to be 50 billion for them for, and, and that Google would have to lose for them to, you know, pay attention to the fact that maybe they shouldn't be doing shit like this, but 5 billion that's cost doing business for somebody like Google. Sure. It sounds sure. It sounds big. Sure, the guys over at Google will say that it's an onerous and there's no way that they can do it, and that's just complete bullshit. They're five billion to Google, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. But yeah, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of lawsuits over AI, and it's gonna be easy for these lawsuits to proceed because AI is so new and it's fresh, and every lawyer in there it's gonna be like personal injury attorneys. You're you're looking at the at the rebirth of the entire sector of law that includes the personal injury attorney, aka ambulance chasers. And it's going to be lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. It's going to just bind up the US court system in ways and then the European court system is going to follow suit because this shit's gonna be they're gonna get sued over there too. So Get ready for a huge mess, and it's not going to go in, go away anytime soon, which is probably one of the reasons why you should learn AI, how to use it, because it's it's a disruptor. You can tell. Why? Because there's a whole new crop of ambulance chasers coming up. Now, for the last one of the day, Bitcoin Magazine, written by Rune Ostgard and Alexander Ellefson, with crumbling economic fundamentals. The future of Bitcoin adoption in Norway is bright. So we're going to go across the pond over to Norway. Let's find out more. Although we don't have exact numbers on Bitcoin adoption globally, we do know that the global average cryptocurrency adoption rate was estimated to be at about 12% in 2022, and that Bitcoin currently has about half of the total market cap of the global cryptocurrency market. Turkey at 27.1% and Argentina at 23.5% topped the 2022 adoption list and the countries with the most inflation seem to have the highest adoption rates. Gee, I can't imagine why. The oil-rich nation of Norway is at 8% cryptocurrency adoption, which is just two-thirds of the global average. 
Considering that it has a rather tech-savvy population, this is surprisingly low. The following factors might provide explanation. One, the official consumer price index numbers have been modest compared with most other countries. Two, Norwegian politicians demonstrate a negative attitude towards cryptocurrency. And as analyst Jaran Melud at Luxor reports, the government wants to, quote, smoke out miners. And D, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, six out of 10 Norwegians trust their government. That's way too high, which is 50% more than the average OECD country. That's Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. But a significant weakening of the Norwegian kroner may begin to incentivize more people and businesses to join the Bitcoin economy. The NOK, the Norwegian kroner, value has depreciated slowly but steadily since the financial crisis. And the frog boiling effect might be the reason why there has been so little focus on it. This has changed in the last few months as the depreciation has gained momentum. At the time of writing, it takes 10.7 kroner to buy one U.S. dollar, which is up from 4.9 kroner in 2008. At its worst this year, the kroner had depreciated 10% against the USD and even performed worse than the Turkish lira and one of the poorest European countries' currency, the Moldovan lee. It probably helped very little that Norway's Prime Minister of Finance in the beginning of June told the people that the Norwegian kroner is a good currency, end quote. Economists scratch their head as they are at pains to explain why the kroner is so unpopular, but judging from media coverage, people and companies are becoming increasingly wary. A loose monetary policy is probably one of the reasons why the kroner has performed so badly. The small country might be able to export large quantities of oil, but it's in no position to export inflation. In the period of 2002 to 2022, the money supply, the M2 of the kroner, increased by an average per year at roughly 7%. This is on par with the USD, but it's 16% faster than the euro, which had an average growth of 5.9% per year. While many factors affecting or affect the exchange rate, Nothing good can come from letting the printing press run at high speed. A lower exchange rate makes imports more costly, fuels CPI numbers, and gives the central bank an excuse to continue to raise interest rates. Norwegian citizens, therefore, are now hit with a triple whammy. High interest rates, high domestic price inflation, and sharply increased costs for the thousands of sun-deprived Norwegians who are used to traveling abroad for their vacations. When the mainstream media covers the weak kroner, the standard theme is that budgets dictate that people must stay within the borders when they go on summer holiday this year. Corporations that have a relatively high share of their cost in foreign currency, while their income mainly is in kroner, have a particularly tough time. Home builders who find themselves in this category due to increased reliance on imported materials are hit hard. The weak currency eats up their profits while the steep interest rate hikes have caused the market for sales of new homes to plummet. Adjusted for population growth, sales are now at the same levels as when the market bottomed out during the great financial crisis. If you consider that, one, the government continues to raise taxes through Norway, although Norway already has a high tax rate, and a public sector that consumes about two-thirds of GDP, 66% in the pandemic year of 2022 and 61% in 2022, 
<clears throat> sorry, 2020 and 61% in 2022. Two, a record number of super rich people are abandoning Norway for lower tax countries. And three, Norwegians now top the OECD's ranking of debt to disposable income per household at 247%. Take all that shit into consideration and the picture looks increasingly grim. It probably doesn't help that the, that, that, hold on. It probably doesn't help the kroner that most of the state's income from taxes on oil and gas is being transferred to the government's sovereign wealth fund, which only invests its capital outside of Norway. Today, the fund makes up more than two times the GDP. The consequences of swapping the value of the petroleum resources in Norway for capital that is invested abroad is that the country gets an increasingly smaller capital base that the kroner can be invested in. No wonder that the players in the foreign exchange market and the wealthiest Norwegians worry that the kroner in the future will will be reduced to nothing but a token for tax payments. The violent depreciation of the kroner compared to the currencies of almost all other nations and the low adoption rate of cryptocurrencies make the Norwegian case special. If the kroner falls further and Norwegians invest more in Bitcoin, this might indicate that the same will happen in other advanced economies with loose monetary policies. It remains to be seen if Norwegian citizens and corporations begin to line up for a consultation with Dr. Bitcoin. Considering that there is no no other remedy in sight, we believe that economic incentives will beat the citizens' exaggerated trust in the government. Even Norway going down the freaking hole, man. Norway, of all places in the world, and they're sitting on tons and tons and tons of oil and gas. And they're still having a shit show over there. It, at what point do we just stop the circus? The, the circus, here's the thing about a circus and clown world. It only ever stops if the audience gets up out of their seats and leaves the big tent and goes somewhere else. As long as we're spectators to the clown show, we're willing participants, we're buying the popcorn, we're buying the hot dogs, we're sitting there watching the clowns do their show, then that clown show will continue. Only if we leave. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Hump day, dad says jokes day. My wife says the salads that I make tend to be a bit on the dry side, and it's definitely something that needs addressing. Okay, Circle P today is I'm going to insert somebody who is actually not part of the Circle P just to see what happens here. (laughs) So do you like coffee? I've never had this particular coffee, uh, so I can't speak for it. All right, so that's just being me being up front. Like I said, this is an experiment just to see if maybe somebody buys some coffee from Good Beans Coffee. That's right. That's Good Beans Coffee. That's thegoodbeans.com. You can go find their coffee at thegoodbeans.com. They're an El Salvadoran company, and they pretty much pick and roast and or dry and ferment and do all the things that coffee, coffee beans have to have done to them before you can grind them and make a good pot of poison bean soup out of, right? For those of you who hate coffee, you call it poison beans. But good beans, their end pub will be in uh, in the show notes. 
but you can get their Noster handle is at good beans coffee on Noster. You can try that one. If you, if you just don't get anything returning on your Noster client, then just use the NPUB, which will be in the show notes. You can also find them on Twitter. If you're still over there at good beans, the that's good beans, the, and again, their website is at, is <clears throat> the good thegoodbeans.com. coffee from El Salvador. Uh, if you do buy, decide to buy any of their coffee, let them know if you can, that I sent them to you because I put them into the circle P we'll see if they get pissed off at me or, or not. But with all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.